Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Well, thankfully, there will be no low talking during today's episode. Yeah. We're what? Really grateful huh? about. Really grateful about that. <laughs> really grateful about that. Dave and I were just talking about low talking a little bit before getting the episode started, and and I said it would be a really really poor podcast if we just low talked our way through the whole thing. Probably yeah, can't hear me over the music. Yeah. People ask me why. No one ever asked me what did you say. I'm like a thundering horse of a voice. Dun, 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 dun. There, there's something to be said about equilibrium and balance when it comes to voice isn't there you and you and i certainly know this with what we work with what the job that we work in yeah but i mean i'm kind of like a famous story from uh when they were making one of the star trek movies christopher lloyd who's got a booming kind of a voice you know he's almost one of the other actors describes that he picks up the communicator to tell the ship to beam him up but he's like yelling it almost as if he was yelling it through the atmosphere up to the ship in orbit rather than just your handy hey could you beam me up now that's kind of like that. Nobody is never going to not hear me, even over a shuttle launch. Well, it made him a good Klingon then, yeah. because they speak in a very strong and powerful way. So Christopher Lloyd being a Klingon was very suitable then. Well, it's 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 stage actors. You know, you're not a lot of stage yeah. actors don't have microphones. You need to project, and uh, so you you can kind of tell. You know, guys like Christopher Plummer, he's. A much more soft spoken, but when he wants to go grandiose, he certainly could back in his day. So that's yeah. right. All right, that's eno- me. enough about voices. We are the voices of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I am the voice Dave Brooks. That's right. And we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. You can come on out there for $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. You can get on out there and get your concessions. If you're still kind of easing your way back into going to the movies, you can get concessions from the Bemidji Theater. That's what helps support the theater in a big way. But uh, they've been going pretty strong here in terms of getting back and having a full movie slate to be able to show as well, which has been great. It's been really awesome. You and I have both been back to the Bemidji Theater. I've been there several times to see the Batman. You've been there to see the Batman. Yes, so we've been back, and it's been really nice to be back as well. So it's the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Shout out to Missy and crew. Yes, they do a fantastic job there. All right, today we're going to be getting into a a subtopic off of a topic that we have discussed before uh, related to sequels and remakes, but a subtopic within there that is something that we've kind of explored in the past, but we're going to get into a little bit of a different avenue with today. Let's let a a stage actor really kind of break it down for us. You ready? To sequel or not to sequel or remake or follow up. Thank you, Mr. Olivier. (laughs) All right. But first, anything in current events to get to, Dave? Nothing huge or pressing. A lot of little diddly things that I don't necessarily think we need to devote too much time unless you have something on your mind. 
Not too much. No, I there's nothing there's nothing really big going right now. At the box office, the I know that that the the that kids more uh, cartoon esque movie, The Bad Guys, has been doing yeah. pretty well. That's what I've been seeing at the box office. That that's been that's been a pretty successful one. That's been that's been a more kid friendly movie that has that has struck a nice chord in terms of doing well and topping the box office. I believe two straight weeks from what I saw. Well, we're about to have a juggernaut. Uh, of course, we're on the day we're recording this. It's Tuesday, May third, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is about to open. And uh, early tracking numbers and early ticket sales are, they're up there, way up there. Like five times what the early tracking numbers were for uh, the original Doctor Strange. So this is going to be a big weekend. This is a summer box office movie. It's the first weekend in May. Summer starts earlier and earlier. It will not be long before February 3rd. Groundhog's Day plus one is going to be the new opening of the summer box office. Yeah, Marvel clearly is still going strong in terms of the pool that it is able to get at the box office with its respective movies, with its continuation of its story. And it's a big year for Marvel in general with some of the movies that are on the way with Doctor Strange. Thor Love and Thunder is going to be coming a little bit later this year as well. And then, of course, uh, Wakanda Forever, the Black Panther sequel, is going to be coming later this year as well. So there's there's a lot to look forward to on the Marvel front uh, for Marvel fans who may not yet be be tired out by the the continual journey. They they seem to just they they can't get enough of it. Marvel fans are just all on board. Well, we just had Spider Man No Way Home. Uh, pretty much, it's, it's still I think officially going in some theaters in some places, but. It is going to go down as one of the highest grossing box office movie success stories ever. And I could be wrong, but I think this and this Doctor Strange, the first movie Marvel to come out after I believe, Spider-Man. I don't yeah. think there's been anything in between. So this is going to be, um, this is the big thing. So yeah, Marvel is the bubble burst. Not yet. No, and they've, of course, done successful on streaming platforms too oh, with, yeah. with some of their, their mini-series efforts that they have had. They've been pretty good. In that regard, uh, some of them better than others, but have done very, very well uh, with the numbers that they have pulled in in terms of streaming and viewership there. It's been pretty solid, but I'm trying to see if I can find a number on Spider-Man No Way Home. Although the difficulty with that movie is that it crossed over between 2021 and 22, so a little bit tricky to find final numbers on it. I think it's since it is a 2021 movie officially, uh, a lot of the money it's made, of course, is going to be on the front end, but a lot of that's going to spill over into you know box office for t- early 2022. I think it still counts toward 2021 as far as movies come out. Here's a movie that came out in 2021 that earned X amount of money. I've seen a lot of movies. Like Titanic opened up in, I think, mid-December of 97, and a lot of that goes toward 97, not so much 98, even though a lot of the box office went from 98 and so on and so forth. Uh, but, I mean, it's been a juggernaut, so Marvel is still rolling forward, and evidently they are not done yet. Kevin Feige was at uh, one of the convention cons and said, well, i got to go. I've got a big meet and greet with all the other Marvel people. We're going to figure out the next decade of Marvel projects, and he probably wasn't exaggerating, but they've done it well. There's clearly an appetite for it, So, and they've not, even the worst Marvel anything that's come out, still not bad. Wow. They're the not next dropping decade. the ball. Oh my gosh. Well, look what they just did with phase one through three. That was what, 25 movies or whatever it was, and spread out over a little over a decade, and it was exquisitely well done. 
Yeah, they've put a lot of work and time into thinking through all of that. And the key now that they're, I'm sure, looking at is how do we stay on top and how do we keep on producing that way. But they've they've been successful at it. So Multiverse of Madness is is on the way and coming very soon. So that's, yeah, that that's one that's in the sights. Speaking of in the sights... Coming up next episode, Dave and I will be doing a summer movie preview, so keep an eye out for that because we are we are into the month of May now as we record this. It is May 3rd, and we are looking ahead now to the summer itself. I mean, our, our preview that we did back during the winter of the first first five months or so of, of this new year. Coming to an end. Yeah, we're getting to the end of that stretch. We're getting close to, I think we had cut it off at Top Gun Maverick or around that time, um, Memorial Day weekend, so... We're going to get into the summer and start looking at that here pretty soon. Some big stuff that's going to be on the way this summer. Feels weird even thinking about summer movies. There's still ice on the lakes. There's still a couple of snow piles around. It's it's been a weird, slow, delayed, melt, spring, whatever you want to call it. Can we not talk about that for a little bit? You're right. You're right. I'm wrong. Wrist slap. That's the approach. Yeah. Wrist slap. My bad. Mea Koopa. So... We've talked about sequels before, certainly, within this podcast. We've talked about remakes before within this podcast. I remember we called it, it's a trap for remakes. Like, it just it's a trap. It's a bad idea sometimes. Sometimes it works out pretty well, but sometimes it's a bad idea. Um, so we've talked about both of those before at great length. I mean, we just talked about a few sequels here to open up, talking about movies that are coming in the near future with... Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, that's a sequel within a franchise, basically, is what that is. So, we wanted to talk a little bit today about some subtopics within sequels. Namely, movies that don't have a sequel, or don't have a remake, or both, that have been left untouched, which has been uh, pretty nice, and that's harder and harder to find these days. And we also wanted to get into talking about movies that maybe should have been left untouched. Why did you think expanding upon this was a good idea? Or they just did it all wrong. They did it really poorly as far as expanding on that. So two different avenues that we could go here. Maybe even some sub-avenues within that. But that's that's kind of where we wanted to go with today's episode. Because Dave, it's getting harder and harder to find movie properties that are standalone one-off movies these days because if there's anything resembling success all the talk it seems revolving around a movie these days is about is it going to get a sequel is it going to be part of something bigger and sometimes i I pull back on that quote that jeff goldblum's character had done in the first jurassic park you had the technology you had the availability you had the ability to do it but uh as much as you could, nobody ever stopped to think and ask whether you should. And yes, Hollywood is kind of a, it's got to be a tight wire business. Yes, and it's a business. You want to make money, you need to make money, but it, that cannot be the sole reason as to why we're going to make a movie. Hey, the audience is there. We got to make one. Make what? Make what exactly and for why? If you don't have a story and you don't have anything artistic to add, to do a good sequel, then you are making a big problem. You're going to kill the franchise. Look at what happens to a lot of other things. Go back in time to the late 90s with Batman. It killed the franchise. It was a horrible idea. Should not have been done. Should have, Guys, what are you cooking up here? Yeah, but there's... No, no. Shut it down. I mean, it took some major overhaul to resuscitate that franchise. Some original classics 
The Wizard of Oz should never be remade as a movie, ever, ever, ever. If you want to do the high school musical, that's a whole other thing. You want to do a story based off one of the books, that's another thing. You want to make up your own sequel like Return to Oz did, which was actually a pretty good movie from the mid-80s. Fine, but leave the original classic alone. It was almost 100 years ago. I don't care. Which has been relatively impressive that for the most part, that's been done. Because there are a lot of properties related to... The world of Oz. There's several books, and they just what ten years ago did one. The uh, forget that Oz, the, Oz the Great, the Great and, and Powerful. Powerful. Yeah, James yeah. Franco. Uh, and it wasn't a bad movie. It was fine, and it was based off one of the other original books. Fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the original property itself, it's been a tiptoe act yes. around it, which has been impressive. That they would go, you know what? This is a classic of Hollywood. We're not touching this. Yeah. You know, one of the original good examples before we start going into what should not be touched was Psycho. Psycho is a classic. I mean, oh, 1960, it's Alfred Hitchcock. It. How did sh- I know you were going to bring that one I'm up? I'm a horror fan. But it's also a really good example that really kind of checks off the boxes of what we're talking about. 22 years later, they actually made a straight-up sequel to it that was a really good sequel. It was a worthy follow-up that a lot of people just kind of overlook. Uh, after that, it started to go off the rails a little bit. Well, let's dig a little deeper into it. Yeah, you're missing all that made everything good in the first place. Leave it alone. But then even worse, they did a remake to the original, oh, not even bringing anything Gus. new to the table. It was a shot for shot remake using the exact same score. They even had, I mean, this is how dumb it got. On the Universal Studios backlot, to this day, you could still see the original, or not the original because they moved it, the original house, Psycho House, and the original motel that was torn down after the original, but they rebuilt it for Psycho 2. Right. Uh, but it's in the same spot it's been since then ever. They built a different Psycho House in front of the Psycho House that's original. It's a facade. It's not really a house. They basically built a shell around the shell. Why? Why? You know, well, we want to make it look more 60s, and that looks more, okay, fine. Why? Why are you doing this? Oh, I really like the first, great. Why don't you make a student art film about it? Look, somebody needed to sit down with Gus Van Sant and say exactly that that very thing. Gus, why? Why are you doing this? He was hired. He had an idea. Okay. But you got to look at Universal. You got to look at the producers. You got to look at the people that said, yeah, let's do this abomination. Somebody thought it was a good idea. Gus is in that boat, but he's not alone. It was, you know, it, eh. I'm not saying there's no value in it all. There were good performances, but I mean, no, don't do that. As far as egregious acts in movies or egregious decisions in movies, this this one is a relatively common one. If you have listened to the podcast pretty consistently, Dave has brought up the psycho the psycho sequel multiple times over. I mean, this one this was a a horrible horrible mistake that was made to go yes. and go frame for frame with it to that extent well it's it's one of those that you go back to because it is a perfect example of why we don't do this how not to do something go watch the 1998 remake of psycho with vince vaughn and ann Hayes and uh no it's just everything about it is bad you know when they did when uh, A and E was doing the Bates Motel TV series, the last season is kind of a loose redo of the first movie and a whole lot of other stuff. But they brought a whole lot more to the table. It was a completely different thing. So am I against that? 
No, I'm not. I mean, it's a good show. It's a dark show. I mean, the whole subject matter of all of those is dark. Right. But what they were doing was kind of the background and and really fleshed out the dysfunctional relationship between those two. That was a completely different thing, and it really only looked at the source material as uh, a guide, but it wasn't anything resembling a shot-for-shot remake. It was completely different. You can watch the original versions and then go watch Bates Motel. As much as there's connective tissue, it's a whole different thing, and it was very soap operaized, if that's a term now. Uh, but it was well, well done, and I the performances were excellent. It made stars out of Freddie Highmore and Vera Farmiga, who did a yeah. fantastic job. I recommend it highly, but it's dark. But it, it didn't violate those rules like we're talking about. Why are you doing this? It had a reason. It had something to tell, and it did an excellent job. Psycho 98, no. 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 It's funny, Dave, because in Hollywood and with movies, sequels – Remakes, well, remakes have always been around. Remakes have been around from the very beginning. I I can think of when Alfred Hitchcock remade his own movie, The Man Who Knew Too Much, because it was a little bit further along in filmmaking, and he wanted to get a second crack at at doing that movie and what he did with it. Um, Ben-Hur, the the tremendously successful 1950s version, which won 11 Oscars, that was a remake, actually. But... Then somebody decided, we're going to remake the remake. We're going to remake a Hollywood classic. And instead of with the other one where you don't even bat an eye, now we look at that remake that was done half a decade ago and we go, what were you thinking? What were you thinking even deciding to do that? Like, that is that is a horrible idea. I mean, remakes have always been around. Sequels with movies... I, we talked about this before when when we did a sequels episode. Sequels have have become really in vogue over the last, I want to say, four decades or so. Like in the 70s, they started to become a little bit more commonplace where you started to see more of them come up. The Godfather. Look at The Godfather. That was That sure. was one of the first examples of building upon a, a previous movie. Rocky. Rocky was another one where they there more movies started to get attached onto it. And then it became very common. If you do a successful movie, well, there's got to be a sequel to follow it up. There's got to be more to the story that's going to come with this. And then it became a really common thing. It, it started out as being a Roman numerals kind of thing, and then it became just normal numbers kind of thing, or numbers as we know them kind of thing. And and now it's it's become so commonplace that to find a movie that is left untouched unsullied by having another uh, having a sequel attached onto it especially a successful movie that doesn't have a sequel or some other property attached to it is really hard to find it it is exceptionally difficult to find movies that fit that mold here we we just mentioned top gun off the top of the show today that is about to depart this this area, this realm of discussion that we are talking about today because Top Gun Maverick is is giving it a sequel. It's a sequel that's 30-plus years later, but nonetheless, it's breaking that mold now of of being an untouched property. It's it's getting a sequel. Yeah, you know, and sequel isn't so much of a dirty word. Remake, reboot kind of is because there's been a lot that have been done for what 
real reason? Can you tell me why we did it? And it was done poorly. So you hear remake, you hear reboot immediately. <laughs> but that's not to say there aren't examples of this was excellently well done. Perfect. Well, we've, and we've talked about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same with sequels. I don't have a problem with a sequel per se, so long as you actually have something to say. Same criteria applies. But when nobody from the original cast comes back and none of the filmmakers, well, why are we doing this? All the people that actually came up with a really good idea the first time, nobody is back for round two. That should be a big flag tip-off right there. Only, you know, who came back for Speed 2? Well, that even Keanu Reeves was like, nope, <laughs> nope, I'm out. And he knew. He he was smart there with not coming back for Speed 2. So talking about, we could certainly go down the, the double line of thought. This is an example of something that, had a, that was really good, had a sequel, shouldn't have been done. And the other train of thought, here's one that is currently standalone that should never have a sequel, and I will break the ice on it. There's a lot of questions. Well, what did this mean? What did that mean? What about this? Could we follow it up in a sequel? No. Leave Inception alone. Whether the top is still spinning or the top is not still spinning. Some of what makes for good movies is let you guys figure it out. You know, you shouldn't have subtitles for everything. You might as well have something pop up and the st- and the top stopped spinning or kept spinning and then go to black. Stop that. Let people... After the movie, go out for coffee and uh, something. What do you think? Did you think that is part of what makes an awesome movie? Leave that movie alone. Little hint, hint to our listeners, by the way, that will be a future episode at some point. That is in the queue. We will get it. We will get back to that very topic later. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking about a movie that was expertly done and talk about such a high concept, a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream and you plant an idea so that it seems like an original idea so that you can you know, break up a company or basically that's the genesis of what the idea of the movie is. What a high concept and then the way you show that in a way that when you flip from one dream to the next, the audience more or less follows along and you're not totally lost. I mean, this is a movie that walks a very razor sharp thin line. If you do anything off, you lose your audience. And I mean, for good and you're out. And now you've got another two hours of the movie to go and you're already lost. And you don't now Why am I sitting here in this theater lost? And even if Christopher Nolan says, I have an idea for inception too. No, leave it alone. Don't touch it. That is a standalone movie. Explain to me one more thing that could be done with that property, with that story, with the cast trying to explore more about, you know, DiCaprio's late wife in the movie. Obviously, they're going to have a couple of references to spoilers here if we're talking about movies that need to be left alone. So maybe we'll just make a little belated yet early announcement for spoilers. You know, what, what, what more is there to explore with that property? You told a beautiful story that had a beginning, a middle, and an end, a perfect arc, very high, deep concept, and you nailed it. You stuck the landing. Walk away. Let it live on its own. And that's exactly what they did with yeah. that movie. And it, it was just a a tremendous success. Really, really good. I mean, it helped that Christopher Nolan, who directed it, was coming off of The Dark Knight and the tremendous success of The Dark Knight. So you attach him into this project. You say this is him doing this movie. That was going to get a lot of attention. Then you get the cast that they did with Leonardo DiCaprio on the front of of that very thing, but they had a an outstanding array of other people who who were involved in making this movie happen, and it it turned out to be a fantastic success. And again, like you said, Dave, very very 
cool concept and a very high-end kind of concept as far as the way that it got pulled off visually. It made for some spectacular sequences. It made for really, really cool effects with what they were able to do. And it just nailed it on, on all accounts. And then even better, it nailed it. And then they said, you know, let's just let's just let it be. We're not going to go back to this like we... We had our success here. This was essentially Nolan's version of a Bond movie, which we've also talked about before in the past. Like, kind of his own version of a Bond movie, but with a a completely separate concept as well with, like you said, the dream within a dream and and the concept of dreaming as well. So, Well, he's a master storyteller. Everything he'd been making was doing fantastic. And in Hollywood, there's a saying, you're only as hot as your last film. And his last film prior to that was The Dark Knight, which is a huge movie. Uh, even as not a Batman movie, it's still a darn good movie. Um, but even the visuals of this, you had even in the trailers, how the heck did they do that? You, nowadays, it's <laughs> yep. too easy to not ask that. Well, it's CGI. No, it Joseph isn't. Gordon-Levitt's fight scene in the hotel comes to mind. Oh, yeah, especially. in zero gravity and in yeah. a hotel. And they didn't. They did it with wires and a spinning gimbal. And it, I mean, it was amazing. A lot easier than you'd think, but also difficult and challenging. That was a spectacular movie in no way, shape, or form. If you want to write fan fiction or something, fine. That's a whole other thing. Hollywood, leave it alone. So far, so good on that front. Here's another really big one in that category, and a really big one that goes back to the 1980s, much like with Top Gun, where you would think with all of the success that it had, I mean, one of the top grossing movies of all time adjusted for inflation. E.T., the extraterrestrial, has been almost completely left alone. Now, I say almost completely because just a few years ago, there was a commercial that, that came out. And it was like a four-minute commercial with like a, a, a follow-up of sorts uh, with the, the kid in, in the movie now grown up with his own family and E.T. comes back and visits and reunites with him for like a four minute extended commercial commercial. Christmas commercial that was done. That's it. That is it as far as any kind of follow-up to E.T. But otherwise, Steven Spielberg, you notice a pattern here? Steven Spielberg leaves that, that alone, that property alone and says it was a tremendous success. It was great. We're not going to go back to it though. And there have been ideas related to ET or some kind of movies that have been made that certainly have had ET in mind or something that you could loosely connect to it i think of super 8 in in that regard but but nothing that has been directly a sequel or a remake of ET the extraterrestrial which it, that's that's saying a lot you know because Sequels were becoming really commonplace in the 1980s. It would be so easy after doing something as successful as E.T. was to go back and say, let's revisit it. Let's go back again. Let's build on this movie. Let's build on this story. No. Spielberg said, this is good enough. That He comes, he visits, he leaves. That's it. Two points interesting to point out about E.T. E.T. in a weird way is actually a sequel. Sort of. Uh, to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Really? Now, they started to develop, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if sequel's the right word, but a spinoff, kind of a follow-up to it, and it got morphed and morphed and morphed again, 
and E.T. is the end result. Now, obviously, E.T. is not a sequel to Close Encounters. It's its Encounters. own property. It's its yeah. own property, but behind the scenes, and you can Google and learn a little bit more about it. This will take forever if I'm going to tell the story on, on the show, but it, it's kind of a spinoff started that way from Close Encounters. Secondly, when the anniversary came up, the 20th anniversary, and E.T. got re-released in the theaters and they made a couple of adjustments, it didn't really uh, come over all that well. And in some of the ways, they brought back some uh, footage that wasn't working too well with the puppet, and they replaced the puppet with CGI to make it do what it wouldn't do. There's a scene where they're in the bathroom and E.T.'s trying to you know, show how tall he can get. It was a cute scene, and it works. But you know, removing some of the, the guns from some of the people's hands and replacing them with walkie-talkies and things, it didn't really work so well. And even later, when uh, it came back out on for its next anniversary on DVD or whatever, or Blu-ray, a lot of that was changed back to the original stuff. So even that shows you tweaking with the original from the George Lucas nonstop tinkering of Star Wars. Maybe people are picking up, yeah, maybe you should just leave the good original stuff alone. And leave it at that. There's exceptions to both sides. I'll give you another one. It's a movie that already has sequels to it, and they're perfect, and they should all be left alone. And we're going to the trilogy, Back to the Future. Should never be t- now. Obviously, there's a part two and a part three, but they were all they weren't originally part of the master plan. And the funny part was they really the whole to be continued at the end of the first movie was only really kind of intended as a joke. And that wasn't shown on the theatrical version. When as soon as the DeLorean flies at the camera, they cut to the credits. There is no to be continued. That was added for the for the video release. But then Universal was pushing, hey, we got to do another one. And they came up with uh, the story idea that was so big, they had to break it into part two and three. You can't do this all as one movie. And even when the third movie was released, you can go Google pictures of this. A lot of the filmmakers, when they showed up to the premiere, they were wearing T-shirts that had the Roman numeral four with like the big circle and slash through it. There will not be a fourth one. Well, now as all these classic properties are being redone and remade and everybody involved in Back to the Future, and I don't just mean on stage. I mean, I think Marty McFly himself is going to have a hard time with Michael J. Fox's health issues. He's not coming back. But nobody, not Robert Zemeckis, who directed it, Spielberg, who produced it, nobody is going to not just be a part of it. They're not going to allow Back to the Future to have any kind of reiteration. Now, they've made it into a musical. They had a cartoon show on CBS for a while that actually was pretty good. That's different. But they're not going to ever do a Back to the Future Part 4 or a remake. Well, we'll update it. For, no, we're not. We're not going to update it. 2015 does not have flying cars. We learned that about uh, seven years ago. But we're not going to go back and fix that. Yeah, a lot of it is is about who has control of the property. And that that plays such a big role. Because if you've got control of it, you can say, we're not going to touch it. Or... I'm going to go ahead and green light doing more with it. I mean, that's that's been the case with what I just talked about with E.T. I mean, as far as holding the property there, Spielberg has said, no, we're not doing anything with that. Inception, Christopher Nolan holds the cards on that, and he's the kind of he, he's the same kind of guy who's going to go, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna touch that. We're gonna move on to other things. We're going to let this be and move on from it. I, I said you might be noticing a trend here, and and certainly you, we can come up with other movies. I mean, think of Something like Pulp Fiction, when Quentin Tarantino really burst onto the scene with Pulp Fiction. That's a standalone, one-off kind of movie. That How could doesn't... you do a sequel to any Tarantino movie? I mean, I can't think of one that would take a sequel. Well, Kill Bill, it's not as if that's Kill Bill different. Volume 1 and 2 are a sequel. That's, yeah. that's all one movie that 
he wanted to release yeah. as one story, they one said, property. We're not doing that. You're not having a six-hour movie, your five-hour movie. you got to break this thing up. And they came out, what, six months apart? It's the same movie. It is literally part one and part two of the same movie. Correct. Yeah, there there was Good no call. no proper sequel Good about call. that there. But you notice a trend there. These are these are big time directors. Big time directors with big time properties who who'd make that big time property and then it's like, "All right, that's good. We're moving on. We're doing something else." Martin Scorsese, very similar. You're not going to find a lot in in terms of remakes, in terms of sequels that are there. That they they have the the creative control over putting some of these these movies together. And there's not a whole lot of wiggle room as far as, well, let's let's just go and continue with the, with the cash cow here and see if we can milk some more out of this story. It's let let's move on. Let's let's do something else. I mean, even with Nolan, he made the Batman movies, but that was that was a pretty big exception as far as him doing something that was sequel related or series related. Even there, he said, "No, we're we're bringing this to an end. We're doing a trilogy. Full stop. Then." We're we're done. Period. You don't get that all all that often. Like these days, it's like, hey, let's stretch this out as far as we can. Let's keep this rolling as far as we can. In a lot of cases, nope. He said we're gonna we're gonna go full stop here after the third one, and that's it. But he, Batman and big giant franchises like that, Bond and so forth, those are completely different things. Even within, say, the Bond franchise, the, all the Daniel Craig movies to some degree are kind of all connected to a point. And they all kind of come full circle at the last one, No Time to Die. Um, but even with the, the Batman stuff, I mean, anything that has happened with Batman prior to The Dark Knight was its own thing. The Dark Knight is its own completely contained nucleus within the entire franchise. And there's clearly been a lot more since then that yep. is in no way, shape, or form connected to that trilogy also. It's it's a it's a whole giant property that's going to have different takes, different universes within itself, and they don't touch well, at least up until the Flash movie where we see all these different uh, Batman versions all kind of come together and Superman versions come together according to uh, teases. So maybe in some weird multiverse kind of way they could touch. But from the realistic Hollywood perspective, no, when The Dark Knight Rises was over, that's it. But you know, Warner Brothers and the people that own rights to Batman, the character, well, we got to keep going. We got to build what Marvel's doing in the DC universe, which hasn't really worked out too well. But then you get the Batman and Matt Reeves involved, and wow, they're already starting to officially work on the next one. And when this runs its course, Batman will continue in some form that'll have nothing to do with anything that's come before. That's you know, kind of its own thing, though. Yeah. Batman will never die. Bond will never die. Superman will never die. They will have different iterations, and they're going to kind of be born and die and rise again and come back. They'll never go away. Different iterations. Yeah, yeah. but those different iterations will only go to a point, and then that's it. You know what movies seem to be impossible to avoid having a sequel for these days, Dave? Superhero movies? Kids movies. Yeah. Kids movies, especially cartoon kids movies that do really well. It's almost impossible to not have a sequel attached to them. There is one really large exception, though. Hmm. Well, Up, maybe? Is there enough, too? Well done. Very good. Up. Huge, huge exception to that. I think they've done some, like... I think you can only cry so much. Well, (laughs) there's that. 
I think there have been maybe some like short film slash uh, mini series kind of things that have been done, have been done related to it. Didn't they do? Wasn't there like a little Disney Plus series on Doug the dog I don't that remember. was done? Maybe, maybe. But as far as like film adaptations or film sequels that have been done to it, there there have been none. Up has been a huge exception, left untouched. Nothing done related to that. Um, Wally is another one too that I that I can think of. I don't think there's been anything related to Wally, right? I don't think Either. so. Big Hero Six, I think, is another one. That's the first one. Big Hero Six. That's not Part Six. Yes, that's correct. But you know, I think one of the problems but Up is a huge, huge exception to that rule. Yeah, but I mean, then you have to think about the other elephant in the room, Disney Plus. We need the content. We need content. We need content. Who's going to say they're not going to raid the coffers of things done before? Let's expand on this. Let's get it to roll a little further because we need content, 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 content. Well, how many Cars movies have there been? There's been 12. Let's get going with number 13. You can see that engine wanting to go and whether restraint is going to lead out over that. You know, the first two car movies are good, and then at some point it kind of got, you know, why are we doing this? Uh, the second Cars movie was... Yeah, uh, yeah. The first, the first one was really, 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 really good. It had a message. It was gorgeous. Yeah, I, I don't subscribe to the whole Toy Story thing. I'm a fan of all four of them. I think all four of them have a tale to tell. I still haven't watched four. All right, I got you. I understand why. But, uh, you know, it's also, we need content not just to support the streamer, but we need something for parents to put on for their kids so the parents can do other things while the kids sit quietly on the living room floor for an hour and a half and be entertained by something else. They've seen this 39 times. They don't want to see it the 40th. Why are we making these things comes to mind. Why is Scooby-Doo going to WrestleMania? Why? (laughs) Why did we make that? that Somebody put money. Is that a real thing or did we make that? I swear to God. Oh, my word. I know. I hadn't heard of that before. Well, that's, you know, somebody had enough. What in the world? If we grease your palm enough, you think you can get the dog to go to, yes, we'll put a mask on and we'll call him the crazy dude. I know of it. I've not seen it and I'm not allowing it in my house. Well, see, that all of that makes up a, a refreshing change of course in that regard. The fact that that has been left alone. It is a really emotionally resonant movie, as you described there, Dave. You're talking about back to Up? The, especially the start of the movie. Yes. It really hits emotionally. Up does. Oh, yeah. But it, it's, it was so successful and so good that it would leave room for sequels to be done. And, and especially because Pixar really caught the sequel bug there for, for a time and still has in some ways. But... Up has been left untouched to this point, which I'm pretty glad for. Pretty glad for, because that movie, boy, did, boy, does it hit home. You know, I'll tell you another one recently that I think should have been one and done are the Matrix movies. The first oh, one. Oh, man, that should have been left untouched. Should have been left yeah. untouched. Oh, the first man. one is completely self contained. It is a gorgeous movie with a really good story. But, boy, you, you can't help it because you want to see some some kind of resolution to the whole overarching premise of, of The Matrix. You want to see a resolution to it, but it's never fully come about. Well, it's not necessarily true. They did come up to a resolution at the end of The Matrix uh, Revolutions, the third one. But number two, number three, eh. And then the newest one really uh, was almost an bomb. I still haven't seen it yet, actually. But I it just didn't haven't hit. gotten around to it. I have, it didn't not, hit, It's line. not good. And everything that came after the first one probably tells you, yeah, but audiences want it. Yeah, but audiences shouldn't always get what they want. And uh, eh. But, but Dave, it, 
as much as I as I look at individual singular properties and go, it's great that you're leaving it untouched. In the case of the Matrix, isn't there? I, I think in a an understanding to be had that with a concept like that and with with the world that they created with that movie, wasn't it almost inevitable that that there would be a follow up that would come of? You is don't there see going, my jaw dropping, Is there you? going to be some kind of resolution to this story? Because as great as The Matrix, the, end of it, the, the very first movie was, as great as that movie is, you're kind of left at the end of that movie going, yeah, there's more to be done here in terms of how do you resolve this whole story? It, it's almost inevitable that there was going to be a follow-up, yes? Oh, I, I agree. There's a lot of questions to be resolved at the end of Inception, but for the same reasons, leave it alone. There's a lot, of, and there is connective tissue between, between uh, uh, I was going to say Interstellar, and that's not right, Inception and The Matrix. They're both very high-concept movies. You've got you to gotta make sure the audience understands the, the mechanics of how this works, and that's not an easy feat. Uh, and I will say for the Wachowskis who directed all the Matrix movies, um, they did that very, very well on the first one. I mean, it's a concept that really the world is just a simulation and robots are using our the general electrical current that our bodies produce naturally to basically power their whole world. And that's the only thing keeping us alive is a mental stimulation. That's what, And they made it work. They really did. And the same thing with Inception. And now we have a really good story. And now it goes and it reaches its conclusion. All right, but was the top still spinning? Well, what about Neo? Is he going to... One was wisely, let's leave it alone. And the other one was, well, this is so natural for a follow-up. Yeah, and so is Inception. But you're wise enough to know when to leave it alone. When you have a way to capture lightning in a bottle, whether it's just because of dumb luck, who would have thought being on a bus that can't drop below 50 miles an hour or a bomb blows up was going to be a success? <laughs> but speed was. Hey, let's do it. No, don't, don't. Yep. And even Keanu Reeves knew to get off this one. <laughs> Uh, Speed yes. 2 goes down in history as one of the biggest bombs ever. And <laughs> the only person that returned was the director and uh, Sandra Bullock. That's it. Yep. And it's on a cruise ship. Well, aren't cruise ships really not fast? Why would you call it Speed 2? Can the cruise ship not drop below three knots? Is that how this works? That's a nautical term, everybody. Um, it's just everything about the movie was like, really? 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 No, pass. You know, I think Sandra Bullock wanted the money. I think she thought it was going to be a lot more fun than it was. Okay, we'll give her a pass. It was ill-advised. Ill-advised. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, Matrix definitely called for follow-ups. But wisely, did they decide the right? No, they just they didn't. They didn't. I'm not saying there's no value in them. I have not seen the fourth one, so I can't qualify. But I have not heard anything good about it. I, I will probably get around to it. Uh, I have HBO Max, so I'm paying anyway. I might as well watch it. Um, next time I have an hour and a half to kill and feel like bashing my head into the wall. Or I could just watch The <laughs> I Matrix. I wondered if you were going to make a comment like that. I could like just that. say, watch The Matrix. <laughs> Having your own personal sedative hanging out next to you, <laughs> a.k.a. some kind of hammer. or your. I wall. can't sleep. Yeah. Well, let's watch Matrix 4. That ought to do it. Oh, my gosh. Well, you, you've drifted this direction here with this episode, Dave, of talking about it didn't need a sequel, it didn't need a remake. So let's let's explore a few more here because I, I wrote a few down. Okay. Now, I, I know you love it. I, I know it is, it is a, in the pantheon of Dave Brooks among the most Uh-oh. beloved movies Uh-oh. for you. I'm getting a little panicky here. Jaws. Oh. Jaws. Didn't didn't need any further, right? Didn't need to go any further. Like, you, you, have, yeah. you have an iconic individual movie there and yet 
they went off the rails continuing further with yeah. Jaws. Like if they if you would leave that first movie and just let it be and say this is all we're doing. I mean, you've got a, you've got an absolutely fantastic individual property right there and yet they decided to go completely crazy and completely out to sea with what they went on and did with well, it. Well, yeah. And that was another one of those where it wasn't the filmmakers, it was the studio and there's a difference. Universal, hey, we had a monster hit. Let's do it again. Nobody involved wanted to do it again. There was kind of like two forces, three forces behind that movie. There's the studio. There were the producers, Zanuck and Brown. And then there was the director of the original, Steven Spielberg. And uh, so Universal, they were going to go and they were going to make this movie one way or the other. Zanuck and Brown had produced the original. They bought the book because it's based off a book. And they they really didn't want to do a sequel, but they were like, well, all right, well, if it's going to get done one way or the other, let's do it right. They did make efforts to get Spielberg aboard, and he was busy and, and didn't want to, knew that I've done enough. I, that movie, the first movie, read, go Google how fun it was to make the first Jaws movie. It was a nightmare. <laughs> we nobody, talked about it on Nobody here. loved yeah. it. So we're going to do it again. So they decided, let's if it's going to be made one way or the other, let's, let's do it right. And I will argue this, Jaws 2 is not a bad sequel. It shouldn't have been made. They should have left the first one alone, but it was one of those examples of it was disaster clutched and became a victory. It was a good movie. They had director problems, uh, but they had a very good follow-up, and it was as good as you could hope for it to be, and it was executed very well in very much the same spirit of the original. Still shouldn't have made it, but they did, and they managed to stick the landing more or less. It's not as good as the original and not by a long shot. But when you look at the other two sequels, three and four, Jaws the Revenge, this is an, I mean, and this is exactly what they were going to do. They were going to, okay, we want to do a third one. Jump Zan- in the shark with sharks. Zanuck and Brown said, well, there's no way we're doing this. The only way we could do this would be if we made it a comedy, and they were going to call it Jaws 3, People 0, and make it a lampoon. And they said, nope, you got to take it straight. And they said, there's no way we can do this. We're out. And nobody involved in the originals, well, I can't say nobody. A couple people were, Joe Alves and others, um, were involved beyond that. And it is shows. It just nothing. I mean, it's not like you can't watch it and be entertained, but you watch the original and then you watch the follow-ups. It's like having a wonderful, you know, lobster new bird dinner and you get Oreo cookies for dessert. There's nothing wrong with Oreos. You can enjoy Oreos, but they just don't really belong on the same plate. You know what I mean? Right. You should have creme brulee for dessert. Nope. So, and no offense to the Oreo people. I love Oreos. I knew that that would probably resonate pretty well with you with talking about Jaws that way because they they got it so right with the first one and they really found something that worked. But when you're talking about nature like that, you can leave well enough alone with just one movie, one concept of it there. If you decide to go further with it, you really are going to, you're going to take it off the rails. There have been some successes with other shark movies, but Jaws is by far the king well, what if we try again now with what we could do with CGI? You could just see how this is going to become an even worse version of itself. It's not the shark. In fact, they proved that in the, the making that mechanical shark work was horrible. I mean, half the things yes. that shark was supposed to do Didn't work. that were supposed to be on screen aren't on screen because the shark sucked. As soon as they put that thing in the salt water, it just broke, and it never worked. You can Google all about it. So, all right, well, this time we'll just do it CGI. We won't have to put a shark in the water. 
some of the things that made that movie work so well was that you didn't see things. Oh, there's blood. Oh, yeah, there's this and there's that. But a lot of moments, you are aware of the shark without seeing the shark. Dread. Sometimes you're almost looking through the shark's eyes. Sometimes it's just, oh, you know, that the whole Ben Gardner's boat sequence, the shark isn't even there. But it's probably one of the scariest sequences of the whole movie. One of the more memorable scenes doesn't involve the shark at all. It's Quint telling the story about the USS Indianapolis. That is a creepy moment. And it's about sharks, partially. But it's a creepy scene that's just a guy talking about his history in the war while in a cabin of a boat. It's it just it shows right there. You it's what's there, how it makes you feel, not what you see. Dread is one of the biggest elements yes. of thriller and horror movies, and you need to have that to be effective. You you really need that in in spades to be effective too. All right, so I brought Jaws up. Any other ones that you have in mind that did not need a sequel? You know, I uh, or a remake. I like. I, I'm not. I'm, how do I describe this? I'm not not on board with the idea of kind of making it a, a serial based on a character that has different adventures, kind of like James Bond, where for the most part, most Bond movies are standalone movies. You know, you get Dr. No, and okay, it's a whole new cast, whole new everything, right. except for a couple holdovers. Right. And then you go to the third one, and so on and so forth. That's fine. And they were going to do that with the Halloween movies, and they started to do that after The Fugitive. They basically took Tommy Lee uh, Jones' yes. character of Je- Deputy Gerard, who he won an Oscar for. U.S. Marshals. U.S. Marshals was the follow-up. And that was kind of the idea. We're gonna. It's not about Harrison Ford and the fugitive anymore. Now it's about this guy that won the Oscar, and we're going to build a franchise around him. And ideally, you'd think there was going to be another U.S. Marshals with a whole other subplot uh, based around the Marshals again. Not a bad idea conceptually. In fact, I kind of like U.S. Marshals. It's and found I, a life on cable TV. Oh yeah, I, I'll tell you another thing. I think that the fugitive as a movie it gets so much love, and I get why it's popular, but I think it's overhyped. I get it. I get it was based off of a TV show, but it was before my time. I never saw one episode of The Fugitive trying to track down the one-armed man. But then I saw the movie. It was a good movie. Fine. But everyone went berserk for it, and I just didn't get it. I actually think, to a degree, I like parts of U.S. Marshals better than I like The Fugitive. Maybe an unpopular opinion, but I think that they're both fairly well cooked up, but there's just it's just kind of something missing that I think in some ways there's a little spackle that is present in U.S. Marshals. So could they do a whole bunch of those or concepts like them? Could you do another another In the Line of Fire, which is Clint Eastwood as a Secret Service agent? Great movie. But could they do another one where now Clint Eastwood is going to be involved with something else and following another would-be presidential assassin or counterfeiting scheme or something that the Secret Service does? Could, but he does retire at the end of the movie, but it's not like you know Clint Eastwood has ever played a character that comes out of retirement later, whether it's a gunfighter or a dirty Harry-esque type. Could they make a whole bunch of Secret Service movies with him? No. Leave it alone, leave it alone, leave it alone. It was a really good movie. It yeah. actually won an Oscar for best uh, screenplay of some kind. It was a great movie, but leave it alone. Don't conceptualize that because it's, no. One series that I've seen, Dave, or actually one genre that I've seen that is becoming a little bit more sequel happy, but is still one that's a bit of a holdout as far as it doesn't always get a sequel attached to it is comedy-related stuff. There are still examples that are out there where there are standalone properties that exist sure. within the comedy genre, 
But sequels there have become, unfortunately, way more commonplace. And I, I can think of multiple movies that should have been left alone when it comes to comedies. Dumb and Dumber, for example. Really hit. Really hit, and it, it was successful with people. And if you hit and do well with something like that, just let it alone because it was the stupidity of it that is, is part of what made it work. Instead, they tried two ill-advised attempts at a sequel with it and failed. Listeners, Hoove and I are about to have a disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it did well, okay? I people, love Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, people liked it. But you disagree over the fact love, that they did a sequel. I love Dumb and Dumber. They did a prequel and they did a sequel. The yeah, pre- that's the, right, the prequel. The, the prequel, yeah, I'm with you on that one 100%. They, should, they got nobody back from the original, leave it alone. But everybody came back for Dumb and Dumber 2, and I liked that movie. It's a good movie. You did. It's exactly what the first one needed. It's some more, a lot more of the same, but different. It, uh, I like it a lot. And if you saw it more on like channels and cables, so you flip around and you see it enough and you watch it more, people would get to find an opportunity to enjoy it. I like that movie a lot, but sometimes there's a knee-jerk reaction. Why could they ever touch this movie? Yeah, to a point, they're not remaking it, they're doing a sequel. And if there's a, a reason to do a sequel and not just because Jim Carrey needs money. You're needs undermining what we're talking about here, Dave. I, but this is an example of, like I said, we're going to have a disagreement. <laughs> this was a movie that was fun. It was good. It was goofy. It was everything the original needed to have in a follow-up. It took it in a different direction. It, uh, it re-explored things from the past. And on a side note, apparently... Jennifer Lawrence was involved in this movie as playing a younger version of the Kathleen Turner's character, Freda Felcher, who's only mentioned in passing in the original. And apparently she got out of the movie for some reason at the last minute. They edited her out. She was there. She filmed everything, and something happened in post-production, and no one talks about it anymore. So I kind of wonder, what the hell happened? And I can't find any information anywhere. So go get on the Google, figure it out, let us know. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay, all right. But so, it's a good, I like the follow-up, the sequel, Dumb and Dumber 2 from what? What year did that come out? 2015, 2014, somewhere in there? See, we're, good not, movie. we're not totally sequel averse here. It's no. just there are, some ki- there are some times where it doesn't work or where you and I may disagree on should they have had it or not. Here's one where I think we can maybe both agree. Anchorman. Yeah. Anchorman. Let it be. It worked really well with the first movie itself it was successful it was tremendous let it alone did not need a follow-up there uh i'm 50 50 uh really yeah i thought i, th- I liked the first one a lot it was good wow but it was one of those where you wanted to see a sequel police academy is a good movie all of them collectively are good movies but they're not great movies i mean come on you have to be in a mindset to watch them anchorman Kind of follows that absurdity level also. Kind of like Dumb and Dumber. This is over the top. So stupid it's funny, but intentionally so stupid it's funny. It's very aware of what it is, and it's masterfully delivered by the director, by the cast. Everybody's it's in on the joke. It's hard to duplicate that, though, in a follow-up movie. True, but I think it's also more than the sum of its parts. It's not lightning in a bottle. It's not like a movie like Speed. That There's no way anyone's going to like this. And they did. And it just really caught on. There's no way that's going to happen again. You're right. Anchorman was a product of everybody that brought stuff to the cast. Steve Carell and his completely mindless 
imper- you know, impersonation of, I don't know, doesn't, you know, he's so clueless as to how he's standing in a room. Ron Burgundy over the top, Will Ferrell just, um, just nailed it over the park, and Christina Applegate completely in on the fun and in on the joke and happy to be a part of it and get dirty with the rest of everybody. Everything worked because they brought it to the table. If everyone wants to come back, it's not like, wow, we had all the ingredients and somehow magically this cake got baked. Do it again. But apparently the audience has stayed away because the second one just didn't really go. I've seen it. I think it's very much in the same vein as the original. I don't see a big drop-off, but what do I know? But I'm not averse to it. It was okay. Like I said, I'm not averse to a sequel as long as everybody wanted to make it. People have asked, when are you going to do a sequel? Well, maybe some. And everybody that was on board, they weren't dragged back. They were like, yeah, this will be fun to get back and have it again. Everybody wanted to do it. It just, for whatever reason, people stayed away. So I don't have an answer to the end game of that. But I don't think it was such a sacred territory that it certainly wasn't remade. Everybody came back wantingly to do a follow-up. It worked. And it's not it's not so sacred of a territory that you can't do a sequel to it. Don't ever remake it. Don't ever get when the next comedic actor, you know, of his generation comes up in 20 years from now, let him re I really want to remake Anchorman like LeBron <laughs> James just tried to remake Space Jam. No, Speak, no, no, yeah, no. Speaking of ill-advised yeah. ideas for sequels slash remakes, that one is yeah. right up there. That was yeah. one of the big Razzie winners this year, and rightfully so. I, I would there was no way I was going to see that new Space Jam movie. I still haven't, and I wasn't shocked when it when it bombed as badly as it did and got the reviews that it did. I was like, no, no, that is nineties nostalgia. That is Michael Jordan's lane that he went through and LeBron <laughs> this goes beyond just movie making. This is about LeBron trying to get to Michael Jordan's level as a basketball player and trying to ascend to that foul. position of greatest of all time. And you uh, yeah. do your own stuff, man. Stop following in this guy's footsteps like this, like so intentionally and trying to do something that has a cult following. Is Space Jam a really, really good movie, like a sensational movie with how well-written it is or all that? No, but it is fun. It's special. It's it's really special for 90s people, and just (laughs) stop. This is one of the moments where this should be a podcast with a video link just so you can watch Hooves face turn red like a thermometer held over the light bulb. I knew it was a bad idea the moment that it was talked about that uh, that LeBron James wanted to do his own version of of Space Jam. I was like, no, this is not going to work. I'll tell you, I got got a, a mental image about, not to get crude on you, LeBron James to Michael Jordan is like a dog that needs to pee over another dog's spot in the yard to mark his own territory. I've got more rings. I'm the better of all time. No, you're not. No, you're not. Well, I redid Space Jam. Now I'm the... No, you're not. You're still not there. You, you No. I don't think that'll ever happen. You also don't have more rings either. That's, that's true too, so. yeah. But he keeps going for it, and I think he's done with his rings now. Didn't need a remake. Didn't need a sequel. What else do you have in mind? You know, I'll say another one that was a bad idea was uh, Basic Instinct 2. Really? I've heard heard about that. Didn't we say, I mean, I'll tell you what, the first one, yes, it's a real erotic thriller and a lot of people went to watch all the sex scenes, but even without that, it's a good movie. It's a thriller. I remember, I'll tell you a story real quick. (laughs) The first time I ever saw it, I was uh, young enough that I was probably in my hormonal era and of course that's probably a large reason I wanted to see it. But uh, so this is going to go really sideways, but just 
bear with me here. Oh boy. This is before I was, I was young enough, didn't have a job, didn't have an allowance, didn't have money. So how are you going to get this? Somehow my brother and I conned my mom into renting it for us. Oh, so, oh no, Dave. <laughs> bear with us. This oh. will be a fun ride. So the movie begins and it's a, it looks like you're looking through a stained church glass window, the very first scene, but you know, all of a sudden that the windows start to come, come apart and you see what the first scene is and it's right off the shoot, a, a sex scene. And before this is happening, my mom, who we didn't have a choice in the matter, decided to watch this with us. We're like, uh, so talk about an uncomfortable situation in the house. But you're like, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. You're, you're 15 or however old, and you're going to watch this. Is this the one with all the sex? Well, you know, there might be a few, but I'm trying to play it down. And, of course, the first scene. Well, the movie is about whether this girl, Sharon Stone, is or is not a serial killer. And it's this detective who gets involved with her, Michael Douglas, going to meet his end the same way that the very first scene, sex scene, turns into a bloody murder bloodbath right off the shoot if this is going to happen to him. And regardless of whether or not you're in for the you know the erotic scenes or not, now you're hooked into the story. You're like, oh my God, she's going to kill him right now. Oh, and... In the middle of all this, my mom jumps up between the screen and my brother and I, I want you guys to know this is not love. This is lust. At this point, I don't care about the erotic stuff anymore. I'm hooked on the story. Honest to God. Mom, get out of the way. She's going to stab him. Get out of the way. It was, uh, it's a good movie. So why there was a follow-up at all almost seems like it was a vanity project for Sharon Stone. That made her career, by the way. No, but Sharon who? And then comes Basic Instinct, and everybody knew who she was. She wanted another go. At some point, there was even a lawsuit, why we're not making Basic Instinct 2. It was promised to me. Then finally it comes out. Something along those lines. You can Google it. And, uh, it, yeah, I did, I didn't even want to see it. I haven't seen it. And everyone that ever did clawed their eyes out. Oh, they're still in ERs. Ouch. Yeah. It was, it's, it's just one of those examples of why are we doing this? Can you answer me a good answer? Why we're doing, uh, not really, but it might make money. Not good enough. Right. Not exactly. Good enough. And that, that's so often the, the reasoning is the money. And that's, that's why we're seeing such a difference here, Dave, as we, we talk through this episode between the studios and the filmmakers. I almost wonder if, I think Basic Instinct 2 probably made next to no money. I mean, it just didn't. So you got to think whatever budget was used for making that movie was a write-off because there's no way whatever it cost compared to what it made that they made money. You almost think if it in real life is the subplot of Crocodile Dundee 3, another sequel that shouldn't have been made. But the whole idea is in that movie, it's about a movie company that is actually making these low-budget movies that don't make any money, but they keep making them. Why are they making them? Because it's actually a drug laundering operation that happens behind the scenes while they make... That's how they. That's why they keep shooting in Bolivia or wherever these movies were made, because that's how they're tracking the, the cocaine or whatever it is. You wonder if that's almost a, sp- a pun on real life. How come they make making these movies that are dumb, no one watches them, they don't make money... Are they laundering drugs while the production of the movie is underway? Is that why they keep making oh movies word. like that? I make I, no official accusations, and my opinions are those of myself, my own, and do not share by the blah 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 You get the general gist. Thank you for adding that disclaimer. I was getting very concerned about what Who you were maybe trying to say. <laughs> but there's a real difference here between what we're seeing from the studios and what we're seeing from the filmmakers. Yes, there are filmmakers who have said, we want to do a sequel, we want to do a follow-up. But then there have been filmmakers who have said, no, we're just going to let it be. And there, there's a big difference there because I think if it was up to the studio, 
I think 100% of the time, or just about 100% of the time, they would say, after a successful property, well, we've got to follow this up. We've got to do some kind of sequel to it. We've got to do something that is going to attach itself to this. But with the filmmakers, you know, so so many of these modern-day examples are filmmakers who have a lot of clout and who have because if it's successful if it is successful the the sequel talk like i said earlier begins almost immediately didn't used to be that way i mean i i love classic movies you know that listeners of the podcast know that in the 40s 50s even in the 60s not a lot of sequels not not a lot out there you you have an individual property that exists and it's an individual property you don't remake a lot of that stuff and if you do it's probably pretty ill-advised like we talked about with Ben-Hur but these days it has become so commonplace because the studios get involved and they want to strike while the iron is hot they they may be thinking about story they may be but in a lot of cases no exactly in a lot of cases they are following the cash cow they're seeing what was successful and following the cash cow and that's where the filmmakers themselves have become so essential because they are the ones who are hanging on and saying, we understand that this property is really good. We're going to determine if there's a sequel here or if there's not. There might be. We may determine that there's a story here to be done. And like you have said, and like I've said a few times too, some sequels are really good. Some follow-ups are really good. Not every sequel is a bad idea, but sometimes... Sometimes you look back on it later and you go, what were they thinking? And that was the premise of this whole episode is what what were you thinking here? And sometimes the filmmaker was involved in that. Sometimes they weren't. You know, I've said it before, so I'm kind of retreading myself. But, I mean, I think this question needs to be retreaded because clearly it's not being asked or being asked enough by people that are in a position to or not to make a film. Why dot, dot, dot? Why are you doing it? Why is there a feel that there's a need for this? Why are we going to do this? For what purpose? What are we trying to gain here? Is there more to the story? And you can kind of sense when you've got one versus the other, when you've got nobody from the original coming back for the next one, where did the main people go? You know, I mean, look at Caddyshack versus Caddyshack 2. Oh, an abomination. Oh, is Don't ever gosh. see the second one. It is oh. horrible. The first one is a classic. I have, I have no interest in seeing the second one. I think the only person that comes back at all of any note, really, is Chevy Chase. And he's just kind of in the background for the second one, really. Um, but nobody comes back. I mean, even some of the characters, it was going to be Rodney Dangerfield's character again, but he didn't want to come back wisely. So they recast the role and just changed the name of the character. But he's really the same guy. They recast everybody and just kind of change their names, but it's the same snooty thing. Well, here's a snooty guy that doesn't want this blue-collar guy coming into the country club and go. And everybody that got conned into it, Dan Aykroyd does a version of what Bill Murray had done in the first one. Everything about the second one is horrible. The only thing that made any notable comeback at all was Kenny Loggins on the soundtrack. That's it. But horrible movie. Nobody that was involved in the first one, when I'm sure, whatever, I can't remember if that was Paramount or Warner Brothers or whoever it was. Hey, guys, let's do another golf movie. We could spend the summer golf. No, I don't. I really don't want to. No. And everybody says that. That's probably a pretty good indication that we're making this for a poor reason. Well, let's going to do this with Spider-Man 1 and 2. We're awesome. So now the studio wants to strike again, but we want to make it bigger. We want you to do this, and we're going to screw it up. And now 
Sam Raimi even just recently talked about his, you know, the aborted plans for Spider-Man four. And a lot of the big things he cited was, yeah. I had good things I wanted to do for the third one. And I pretty much got overruled. I had such, I was so butthurt after that. I had no desire to try to walk that line again, even with promises. No, we'll stay away. No, he actually told them, you know what? You have another competing Spider-Man idea. Why don't you run with that? And walked away from it. It's not that Stan Raimi couldn't have done his version of Spider-Man 4. He straight up said, I, I'm out. That tells you something right there. That's prob- and That kind of thing happens enough that people say, I've had enough. It just happened while they're filming Fast and the Furious 10. Justin Lin and Vin Diesel. And I, I think the truth is kind of starting to come out about Vin Diesel being kind of a twerp. And Justin Lin, who directed a lot of those and really is responsible in a lot of ways for turning it around with Fast Five, and he's directed most of them, finally said, I'm done. And they, in the middle of production on the 10th one, walked away. So now they got to find a new director, and they're filming it now. Wow. That's, I, mean, I hadn't heard that update well, about and that, that movie. That might be more of a personality thing, but all the stuff well, that goes Vin with Diesel it. Well, Vin Diesel has been rubbing people the wrong way. Not to get too, time. Not to get too deep into that one, but yeah. he's been rubbing people the wrong way with the Fast and Furious movies for a little while now. I mean, you can take a little bit of a dive down the rabbit hole with that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, Google it. But, I mean, and that's a different thing. That's more of a personality thing rather than this movie looks horrible. I don't want to do it. I don't want any part of it. You know, that's that's a different kind of a thing. But when you start running into a sequel that is is being forced down the pipeline, however you want to describe that, and all the people that had a direct involvement in the success of the first one or the whatever has come before, and they don't want to do it, that right there is telling you they're the ones that built this thing. They're the ones that designed this thing and made it happen. And they are actively saying, I don't want to continue this, but this is going to continue whether I'm involved in it or not. That's an idea of what's pushing it. Somebody that's interested in the money and the bottom line wants this to continue. Well, we could make this into a franchise. No, no, we're not going to make this into a franchise. Yes, we are. Watch. Hold my beer. You know, then it's time to vacate the premises. And you'll see that time and time and time again. Maybe not in the trailers when you're at the movie theater and the trailers for part three comes up on the screen. You won't see it there. But if you read behind the scenes a little bit, you can feel the way the winds are blowing. You can. And it gives you a pretty good idea of if this is a movie that is worth going to check out or if it's not. Yeah. And it's it's just the way of Hollywood. It's never going to go away. It just will never go away because there's too many forces at play that want to make things into things. And where those gatekeepers are that say no to whether it's reprising a character, to whether it is bringing back a concept that they had a hand in making and they have to sign off on it in order for it to happen. Um, and when they stand up and say, no, you're not doing this. You know, well, it's going to get made without you. You can't make it without me. And no. And even if you can make it without me, I am not going to be involved. And even if you can make it without me, to do so is going to make me mad. And if I'm not done making movies yet, I will be done making movies with you. So all of a sudden, you start seeing these force ramrod projects vanish like a toot in the wind because, well, we don't want to make Spielberg mad. We will we'll leave Amistad 2 alone. The bottom line That's a joke. is <laughs> the bottom line is you really do need to walk a fine line when it comes to doing sequels and when it comes to doing remakes. Sometimes it's best to recognize. When you do something really good as a one-off to leave it at a one-off, sometimes with the right concept and the right idea, you can expound upon the story and keep it going. But it takes the right concept and the right idea. 
You need the right shepherds. You can't just have a field and put some sheep or livestock out there and then call yourself a farmer. you got to have the right shepherds make this work or the wolves come and tear your flock apart and it's not going to work. If you're just doing it to do it, just because. It'll be fun to go film Grown Ups too, so we can all go on vacation together. All of our families with us. We'll have a great time. You know, for that kind of movie, it's not exactly sacred territory. If you want to see Sandler and Kevin James and Chris Rock and everybody and have a vacation movie, I, fine, no problem. But uh, why are they going to make it a second one and a third one and a fifth one and a seventh one? Because they all want to go on vacation together? That's not good enough reason to make a movie. You might get a couple of yucks, but, you know, for the one or two that they did, that, great, fine. Let's leave it at that. But, you know, if you don't have a good reason to do them, Leave it alone. And if you have a success story that has no business really having a follow-up, but you're going to force it, leave it alone. If it's sacred territory, don't remake it. But then it's kind of a fine line because things like, back to horror, are you ready? Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a oh, name yeah. that yep. all by itself is iconic in its imagery, but it's got, what, 104 versions to it now, sequels and remakes and so forth. And the newest one just came out, which is kind of a rebooted sequel, which is a really bad movie. It's not very good, but you knew that going into it. But the 2003 remake, done decades after the original, I, in my opinion, think it's the best of all of them. The first one is so legendary, mainly based on its um, allure, its infamy, if you want to call it that. It's not a bloodbath. There's very little blood in it at all, and it's not (laughs) the massacre that it implies on the title. It's not, it's violent. It is what it is. But it's not what you think it is. And the 2003 remake takes the same concept, redoes it, makes it work. The first movie is really good up to a point. These people are crazy. Let's show the audience just how crazy they are, and we'll show you nonstop for 20 minutes. You've lost me. There's no more story now. Oh, that's right. We need to end this thing. Well, let's quick have her jump out the window, and it's over in two minutes. It, it, it really gets bad in the third act. It, everything up to that, it's good, it's thrilling, and then it goes off the rails. The, thir- the remake gets away with that whole 20-minute, let's show how insane we are. Let's just keep the story going, and it works. It's the best of the bunch, according to me. Everything after that is leave it alone. Yeah. All of it. I know you will never watch any one of them, and it's not a bad idea, but um, <laughs> they should just stop doing it. So Toby Hooper is gone, but the other guy that had a lot of say in that original movie was Kim uh, Kim Henkel, and he's involved in a lot of these other ones that are coming out, and each one of them is horrible. This is his cash cow. This is how his kids go to college. This is you know his financing. This is what it is. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. I feel like we've said that very thing and or something related to it several times over in previous episodes when we've gotten into talking about the sequels and the remakes but there are those gems out there that remain untouched they are harder and harder to find because again like we're about to see with top gun that's getting a sequel that's being added to it and who knows where that's going to go maybe that'll be in the category of great idea great idea to go that route with it and to do what they did with it or maybe it'll go in the category of you tried let, let Didn't me, work out. Let me predict the future here. I think Top Gun Maverick is going to do respectable numbers. It'll be a hit. People will see it. People, for the most part, are going to enjoy it. But you're going to hear, eh, they should have left it alone. And that's a fair criticism for any sequel. It's almost any, inevitable in it's a inev- lot of cases. It's inev- already, they're already saying, you know, it's been 30 years. Maybe they, it's too long to do the sequel. I think if people want to see it, what are you talking about? You're just giving a reason to people not to see it. And if you build it. 
They will come. If you if they put want together to come, the right kind of movie, they will come. Top Gun was iconic, but it wasn't because the movie itself was excellent. It kind of was the right ingredients. It was 1980s machismo run amok. You know, these aren't fighter pilots. Have you ever met a real fighter pilot? They're nothing. Like, my dad was a fighter pilot. They're nothing like Maverick and Goose and Iceman. They're not. Some of them are, but this is so overhyped and steroid pumped because it was a product of the 80s. It was when uh, Tony Scott would as his, was at his best and Michael Bay was coming up as a producer with Jerry Bruckheimer and they were just, they, it was everything coming together and Danger working zone. like what it was. Kenny Loggins on the soundtrack <laughs> again. But this one is going to do just fine. But it's also, it has a story to tell. Drones are kind of where the future is. And, you know, well, how come Maverick is still doing what he's doing? Because he just doesn't want to grow up. He's kind of stuck in the 80s. But he's also going to have to deal with his uh, former Rio, Goose, his son, played by Miles Teller in this. He's coming up through the ranks now. So Maverick is not just uh, a blazing of the trail, but he's also got to look out for something else. And I, of course, I haven't seen the movie. I think it's going to be a good movie. It's not going to live up to the hype of the original, and they never do. It's to be expected. And that's going to be all the ammunition you need. Oh, they should have never done Top Gun Maverick. I think if you leave all that crud aside, it's not going to be a bad movie, and people are going to enjoy it, and it's going to be visually stunning. And it will be what uh, the first one really was. It was a giant Pepsi commercial. <laughs> And honestly, they did that. Go watch the <laughs> the original video cassette. They made a spoof of Top Gun right before you watch Top Gun on video that was a Pepsi commercial where the guy's Pepsi thing is not letting the bottle come out in the t- cockpit. So they reenact the scene from the movie where he turns the plane upside down so he can pour the Pepsi into his mug. Get on the YouTube and find it. It's out there. And it was sort of a fun way to do it. But that's what Top Gun was. It was a Pepsi commercial. It sounds so 80s. It's what it was. That's exactly what it was. They tried to use recruitment to get people into the Navy, and it worked. The recruitment for Navy pilots went up like a hundredfold or something. It was a big commercial. It was what it was. It was not a bash to say so. And it was fun. It was awesome. It was great. Other than maybe visuals and audio, it didn't win any Oscars, nor was it going to. It was fun. It still is fun. You can still go to a Halloween party and somebody shows up, not just in any random flight suit, but they come as Maverick and Goose or Iceman or whoever. And that's always going to be with us. You're always going to see Tom Cruise and think Maverick. Well, when are you going to do another one? Well, here it comes. So, but don't expect it to become something that the original never was. It'll live up to a point. We will know in a few weeks' time just how accurate that prediction from our guy Dave Brooks is. I'll bet you a Pepsi I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. It'd be suitable that it was a Pepsi and that you would bet that. So, yeah. I, I got to check out that commercial now. Too. It's on YouTube. It's so. like two minutes long, but it was intended to, I think it made it on TV too, but it was on the VHS tape back when there were VHS tapes. Yep. Before the movie began, it was yep. a big, long Pepsi commercial, but it was like a Super Bowl Pepsi commercial. <laughs> it was awesome. For all I know, that's maybe where the big over-the-top Super Bowl commercial started from. Don't forget, next time on our next episode, we will be talking about the summer movie slate a little bit beyond Memorial Day as far as what the slate is going to be look like June through probably Labor Day weekend is what we'll be looking ahead to and giving you an idea on what to go see this summer for. This is looking to be a good, the box office is coming back. Spring's looking good. We're really getting into big stuff now. Summer's got a lot of good things coming. Uh, The remainder of 22, and there's still going to probably be some maneuvering around on the schedule. There always is. Um, but with the pandemic now becoming the endemic, 
We're getting there. We're getting there. We're going the right way. Uh, even I am starting to go see some movies back at the theater. So That's right. It's, it's a good time to get out there and go see them. So we'll give you a rundown next time. Until then, I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.